Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, mm-hmm. helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, uh, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. So if you're looking to, to track what's going on in the auction market, which quite frankly, there's no more important time than now to pay attention to what's going on in the markets. So that way you can see. Uh, trend lines develop and swings and those kind of things because right now the, the volatility that we see um, in uh, the corn market, the soybean market, and all those kind of things, there's a direct correlator back to that when we start looking at equipment, especially when you can't get new and you can't get used. So all that stuff's kind of worth its weight as gold right now. So great time to know what your investment's worth. So if you have more in- more information on that, go to uh, Tractor Zoom, Iron Comps, and if you like what you see, use Moving Iron to check out, and you get yourself a discount. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And uh, last week, Sean released, over the weekend, Sean released a uh, another one of his excellent reports about what's going on there, and he uh, kind of highlighted some some very crucial things that are kind of leading to this this climate uh shift in climate that we've talked about based on how solar activity is uh, relating to it as well as how the ocean temperature is is starting to affect that and uh, Sean I was listening to that and there is I had more questions than I could have paper to write down so I have just a we're going to hit the high points here and uh, go from there but first off how you doing this morning I'm doing great doing really really good how's the uh, how's the Florida spring treating you so far um, we continue to be unbelievably cool. I was in Orlando over the weekend, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I, it, it was like low 80s. It was dry. It was windy. I mean, it, I've never seen it this dry and cool in early June. I mean, this is the time we're supposed to be steamy and hot, and and so it's for us. It's it's like winter weather for us. You know, right. we're, we're we're getting the sweaters on right now. Yeah, it, so. I, would, I would I would highly recommend 80 degrees in a sweater. That would be. <laughs> If those two correlate. So, <laughs> now I will say the weather has been abnormally cool um, over Memorial Day weekend. You know, we, up here we had uh, cool rainy days. I think the hottest day we got was 72, which, again, that's very abnormally low for this time of year as well. Typically we're, you know, 80-plus and uh, drier than we've been here of late. So, um, 
it, there's there's definitely some some cool patterns going across. Uh, we had snow not too far up the road from where we were at. Yep. So in uh, some some areas that didn't need any extra help on on freezing crops or anything like that. So there was a right a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that come across. So kind of three things stood out to me in your report. One, you were you were highlighting um, kind of the growing days that we see right now. In a typical year, a range between 180 and 185. Um, you kind of talked about back in the 70s how when we had this this dip in um, uh, ocean dipole readings, whether it be the Pacific, Atlantic, or the Indian Ocean dipoles, and kind of what those looked like, and, and then you know kind of trim that back to about 130 days a year. What we saw now that was in just where we had a correlating um, negative effect in both of those ocean ranges. And then now you throw on top of that a grand solar minimum and, and some of the other things that's going to start coming together with that. So why don't you talk about that and then under, then explain what a dipole is and then how it gets the difference between a positive and a negative dipole. Well, first of all, I just want to remind everyone that um, if you recall, Casey, we talked about back in December when we had this Saturn-Jupiter conjunction when we get really close to each other that happens every 60 years and that that typically triggers the AMO, the uh, Atlantic Multi-Decadal Oscillation, which is the measure of the Atlantic sea surface temperature. It sets off that uh, the currents and the forces to cause a dramatic cooling. And we predicted that this should be, we should see 2021 show a big, big decline into the AMO, into this negative phase that we haven't, as you said, in a very long time. And sure enough, if we showed a chart of when the AMO temperature peaked, I kid you not, Casey, it peaked the week of that conjunction. Uh, and now we've been nosediving ever since, and we're almost at zero. The reading's almost ready to go into negative. We only get these readings once a month. We're supposed to get the next reading here within the next week, but you know, it's, it's happening exactly as we prescribed in that report. So why does it matter that the AMO and the PDO are negative together? Because remember, sea surface temperatures drive ambient air temperature above it. If it's cold, it's going to be cold above. If it's warm, warm above. So if you have these two big bodies of water that are simultaneously in the cold phase and are projecting cold air above it, you now have this, this constant feature of colder air surrounding the, the, the earth that's been it's pushed by this, um, the, these two big bodies of water moving into this phase. And this phase is a 60-year cycle, and, and it lasts for about 10 years when those two oceans are, are in this synchronous phase. So the last time we had this was 65 into the late 70s, uh, I think maybe 68 to the late 70s. Um, and then from 1907 into 1920, and if anyone looks at grain prices and overlays it onto those two periods, some of the two of the greatest rises in agricultural prices occurred during those two phases because the weather became so volatile, the weather became so extreme, and the growing seasons became so short that growing food in the northern hemisphere became very, very difficult. And so we are... Our view is somewhere between now and the end of the year, we're going to push that AMO into negative territory and set off this 
10-year cycle. And oh, by the way, like you said, the last two cycles, we did not have a grand solar cycle minimum. And it was very, very bad. I mean, it was, we had very difficult times, very difficult weather, very difficult production. But we now overlay a grand solar cycle minimum, which, is an, which amplifies every effect, whether it's La Nina, Nino, or this sea surface temperature effect, we would expect the situation to be an order of magnitude uh, more impactful than even those two times. And, and those two times were very, very difficult. So, um, so that to us, when you have these two big cycles coming together, tells us that the next 10 years, Casey, is just going to be a wild, unprecedented time for ongoing weather volatility and, 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 and a, a trend towards more extreme cold uh, temperatures, extremes, longer winters and shorter growing cycles, especially, you know, here in the northern um, hemisphere. Now, now the reason I think you mentioned something about the ocean dipole, the reason that that's important is because there's a lot of talk that this La Nina, which has weakened here in the spring, which is not unusual, by the way, is that in La Nina is dead. It's not coming back. Um, and, and many of the weather forecasters are forecasting some are based upon a, a, a neutral reading. We've identified that the Indian Ocean Dipole leads La Nina or El Nino by one to two months, meaning, so, so in the case of the Indian Ocean Dipole, we've had this big, big dive into negative territory. That means cold sea surface temperature to the west of India and warm sea surface temperature to the east of India. That's what a negative Indian Ocean Dipole, that's the cold phase of uh, the Indian Ocean Dipole. And, and the interaction between the Indian Ocean, uh, the Atlantic Ocean, and the Pacific Ocean uh, allows for this to be a leading indicator for La Nina to come back. So, so this big, big dive into native territory tells us that we're expecting the La Nina to be revived here within one to two months, which means, you know, between the end of this month into the end of July, La Nina's come back, which has been a forecast. And when you look back at the patterns of La Nina, going back to the 1950, we usually have a hard La Nina, a weakening, and then a reassertion of the La Nina. Uh, we call it a double hump. We had the initial hump, we've had the weakening, and we're expecting the second uh, part of the La Nina to come exert itself. It happens over and over and over again. So not only is the pattern consistent, but the Indian Ocean Dipole is now telling us from a completely different uh, cycle that we should expect the La Nina to come back. So as you know, Casey, we like to look at multiple cycles all agreeing with what we're trying to forecast because it gives us greater confidence about projecting not only the drought cycle that we get to peak here in late July that's starting to excite the grain markets again, but also uh, the, the very, very long cold winter we're anticipating a La Nina is a part of and a negative AMO is a part of why we believe that's going to happen and we're very confident about that. Okay. All right. So let's let's focus on on the weather pattern that we saw over the weekend here and you look up what happened in in uh, the Dakotas and in some of the uh, key uh, Minnesota and over into northern Iowa and, and kind of in that whole area there you kind of take a look at that whole northern <clears throat> plains um, region of the U.S. there was a, a pretty significant amount of, of cold weather that came through there you know anywhere from I've, I've seen 25 degrees up to you know right around freezing at 32 with a little bit of snow sprinkled on top of that with which is 
it, it came at a time where you didn't have, um, I mean, it came at a time where you had plenty of, of crop up, you know, you had like sugar beets that had been planted, you had winter or spring wheat that had, had starting to make its way through and, you know, some corn, those kind of things started popping up. As you take a look at that area, especially when you come start looking at spring wheat and, and the wheat market and what we're seeing there, um, you, you got to start thinking that we're going to start seeing some some bigger moves up, and we started seeing that over the first, you know, I think yesterday corn finished up thirty cents or something like that. Um, after you know a couple weeks of it kind of pulling itself back down, now we're going to start seeing that rise back up. Um, talk about that a little bit, and how you think that's going to affect the marketplace. Remember, we we anticipated that we would have the, a May correction. We thought it would it would bottom out in June. It turned out a week early. Yeah. Um, which, as price forecasting goes, that's that's kind of in the realm of yeah. uh, you know one or two weeks away, um, and we anticipated that the two crops that would be most impacted by our drought cycle forecast and our our weather volatility forecast would be the spring wheat market, and the corn would be the ones that would be most impacted that would have the greatest upside and actually have the greatest physical. Uh, degradation of crop, meaning the crop's actually going to be permanently reduced by the weather that we see coming. This, Some of this cold, some of this frost that we saw is a microcosm of where we're expecting to see next spring. You, th- you know, this, was, this was pretty unusual, right? I mean, you don't yeah. typically get this. or We haven't gotten it in a long time, right. but it's nothing, in our opinion, nothing compared to what we're going to see um, next spring, meaning the, it, the, the cold air is going to be colder, it's going to be affecting broader area, go further south, and and so just think of how it's already impacted, uh, you know, soybeans and spring wheat, that sort of thing already, um, with you know a, a decent area, but 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 it's a good microcosm of why we're so concerned about next spring into the summer when we think that this long endless winter is going to have far far. Or more damaging kind of cold and distribution of that cold late as you know late in the season like this. So it's a good test of what next year is going to look like um, and how quickly it can impact markets and turn the markets around on a dime from check bearishness, get out while you still can, sell everything you can. To, the bull market's over to uh oh. <laughs> Looks like we're going to take out the highs here pretty soon. Now everyone's right. starting to worry that they made a made they made a terrible mistake getting bared up last week, and and we this so so that's really you know what you have to be really careful about is not getting caught up in this short term volatility when speculators are running around selling all kinds of stuff. Uh, keep 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 in the back of your mind, you know that this cycle we're in, Casey, that we just discussed, the sea surface temperature cycle, the grant, it's not going away. These are long term cycles that are going to be with us for decades especially the next day for sure that they're both going to be in place. And so this is going to be a common feature and you have to have uh, kind of a, you have to look a little more intermediate term and utilize the volatility to your advantage. You know, livestock producer, you know, when you get that, when everyone tells you the sky's falling, you need to go in there and get some feed ball because if you turn your head a week later, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I mean, I wish the corn could put 80 cents on new crop corn, 80 cents. In yeah. just a few days, just amazing how quickly these things can happen nowadays. Yeah, so. yeah, that's the one thing about the markets here of late. You know, we had that kind of that run down, like you talked about in in uh, in May, and, and there's some pretty big 
some some b pretty big volatility, interday volatility. You know, you might see ten or fifteen cents, thirty cents swing in, in just a day, and then uh, you know, here yesterday we had um, corn was up thirty cents. It was down forty cents on Thursday, and I think up thirty cents again on Friday. I mean, so we've had this huge swing in, in product, just like you talked about. That there's stuff to start to pay attention to here, especially when you start looking at all the dynamics that are going on around us. You know, we, you, you. Uh, I think you mentioned it the last time we were here that that uh, basis was going to be kind of the the uh, the indicator out there as to what you see. And, and I mean, I'll give you some examples here. We had we had a couple guys that sold eight dollar and some odd corn to uh, to our local ethanol plant here because they were a dollar. Almost a dollar twenty five cents higher than than the board, just because there is nothing to get. I mean, they're just getting trying to get people to bring something to them. And I've had cattle producers that didn't even look at the feed bill that they got, the corn bill that they got from the local guy. They just paid it, and you know, because they'd have no other choice. You know, so this this uh, this market there's shown some volatility, and and like you talked about, uh, positive basis is a pretty big signal that there's not much supply out there. Yeah, that's a very good point, Casey, is that we do not have any, any buffer stock. We actually don't need that. We don't need a, a catastrophe crop for corn or soybeans to have a major shortage. We just need the crop to be just a little bit below what's, ex what's expected, just a little right. bit. Five bushels to the acre below trend on corn, and we're in trouble. You know, just a little bit. That's the whole point. Is in years past, we need a big problem because we had huge carryouts to get to to to, to get ourselves into trouble. Now we just need to have just a something, just a little something goes you know, a little lower than normal, and we can't handle it. What if it's a lot more than normal? Right. You know, I mean, we're, we just we just have, we have no room for other than perfection. And so you, that's why, you know, everyone said, oh, everything looks perfect. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, this, some of this uh, frost came in and now the, uh, everyone started looking at the moisture maps and realized that a lot of the rain missed a lot of the key areas. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's a hundred degrees in North Dakota, you know, and all of a sudden this hot's coming, heat's coming in. I'm going, this does not look perfect to us and it has to be perfect. And then wham, there you go. Yeah. The market just, just triggers right back up. So, we continue to stick to our forecast that we're looking for blow-off tops in the month of July. It doesn't mean it's going to be a steady ride to that blow-off top. I think we'll have more big days along the way as we move along this this path. But we're expecting important, at least, you know, highs for the year to be had in this late June to late July time frame, where we think we 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 trade all of this and and then we and then August the weather actually turns out quite a bit better and it saves the soybean crop and everyone kind of gets comfortable that the worst is over and we and we have your typical traditional you know harvest low into september that kind of thing so so we would really eyeing uh producers eyeing this late june to late july time frame for you know getting some cash sales made getting something on the books making sure you you get enough done that you need to does it we do know we still think we have higher prices later on in 22 but but this is going to be a pretty good high for a while and you want to make sure you would definitely take advantage of that as it comes. And yep. this, so, the, so this this yin and yang is, is perfectly fit into. We cleared the speculators out, and now we're ready for full power into this July top that we're looking for. Yep. So, yeah, the the pictures of of wilted uh, corn crops are starting to make their way to to Twitter and, and the other social media sites. So, um, it, it's definitely happening. No no doubt about that. Um, 
Oh, and, yeah, and you think about how many acres the Dakotas plant or expected to plant for corn. Um, and, 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 and so if you, if you just run some yield numbers on all the acres and you assume the rest of the corn belt is, you know, let's say average, slightly below average yield, there's no way we're going to make a trend line yield crop for the, for, as, a, as, a, as a national corn yield. It's not going to, anywhere. or in my view, it's like you, you need the other areas to be above trend. So we're already almost getting to a point where it's going to be very, very difficult to have a trend line yield crop already. We haven't gotten started yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're so. right. All right, so we got this much anticipated June report coming up. Uh-huh. Well, this one will have the new the new acreage report kind of baked into it. Um, remember back in in March when they had the uh, the projected acreage report came out, and there's this the phantom four million acres that was that didn't show up, and people were kind of anticipating what that was going to look like. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are, are you are you gonna? Are, are, you think the market's gonna put much stock into this? Like we're gonna see what the acreage report is now, and then all of a sudden these four million acres show back up. We're gonna be, um, oh my god, we're gonna have this massive crop. Or do you think it's too little, too late? Even if those acres do show up, so, um, the crop report's coming out June tenth. June tenth. June tenth. Okay. So right. it's uh, it's next week. Next week. But um, look, June tenth is a nothing report. They're gonna they're gonna stick with the acres that came out with in March. They're not going to lower the yield on the corn. They're going to they're going to say, yeah, you know, we just it looks we're going to keep it, we're going to keep it where it's at right now because we don't know enough. What are they going to say? You know, I mean, I, I this is not typically a big mover. Um, already, private estimate Casey for in terms of South America. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about how ridiculous yeah. that 102 million metric ton number was for Brazil corn. We already had some credible. I mean, people that do a good good work that mm-hmm. that do really work. Um, Privately down in Brazil, they they moved their numbers down to nine to to ninety five to ninety two million metric tons. We talked about in this program. I thought it'd be eighty eight to ninety. Yep. So I think those private estimates are getting closer to the truth. Um, and the USDA has it's going to have to come down. But I, but does the market like I think is the market going to be surprised if they do? They, we already have credible reports from the private sector already showing you the USDA is in complete la la land. And so I think they're going to come. They should yeah. come. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll come down a lot, but is but with the market already rallying as much as it did, is that going to really impact the market? Probably not. I don't think this is a big report for uh, as a market mover. Now, reports at the end of the month, the end of June, which is the acreage. So we're going to go from what what they were supposed to plant to what did they actually plant? Right. That's a big number, and that's where those phantom uh, uh, those phantom acres could magically show up again. Right. Um, because they magically were, they magically were just disappeared, and they may oh we found them again. There they are. Right. Um, so that's an important report. And of course, then the quarterly grain stocks report comes out, and this is where the USDA likes to make changes to prior errors in their ending stocks. They keep saying we have you know one point three, one point four billion bushel carryout. You know, <clears throat> we don't believe we have anything more than a billion of corn in the in the country. Um, and, but they're never going to tell you that uh, in a WASDE report. What they're going to do is they're going to magically say, we can't find hundreds of millions of bushels of carryout in our correlated stocks. We, we just can't find it. And demand must be much better than we think. That's how they're going to like rationalize how they screwed up so bad. And then, and then in the July report, they'll come clean 
on the ending stocks because they'll say, well, given that we can't find corn that was supposed to be there, we now have to adjust our ending stocks down to what it should be. So the July report is the one, and the end of the month reports are typically big market movers. So I think the market's going to pretty much just forget this June report like it doesn't exist, and, and then, then we get ready for the, the, the late June reports and then the July report. Now, remember, if I'm correct about what I think the weather's going to be, come late June into July, it be burning up in the Corn Belt, 100 degrees, 95 degrees, no rain, pollination is, is getting crushed. So could be a really interesting time, Casey, for some wild volatility in the markets during that last week of June into that mid-July time frame. You'll be really paying attention to some wild times and some marketing opportunities when markets may get a little over, you know, they may just get totally um, insane to overshoot to, to the upside. Even no matter how bullish it is, markets can still overreact to it and, and price too much of that in. We'd be looking for that period of time for that kind of an opportunity for producers. So, yeah. All right. Last topic real quick and then we'll shut it down. Sean, as you take a look at the U.S. dollar, it, it continues to uh, show signs of weakness, and usually that's a, that's a really good um, opportunity for for some marketing of, uh, of grains uh, through the export channels. I guess as you take a look at, you know, China, we're not we're we're you know we're gonna have the greatest crops ever. We're gonna you know we've got everything we need, but we're gonna keep buying these massive amounts of grain and hogs and everything else that they keep buying. Um, as you take a look at that, how do you think that's gonna affect? the the exports i mean right now we're kind of at a point where we've you know brazil's kind of given everything that they can give up for export we're kind of at that point too where we've kind of given everything we can up for export there's still some some room there and as we start looking at some new crop stuff come through but at what point does the really doesn't matter what what the export looks like we just don't have the, the crop to to kind of shuffle around ukraine was talking how, the other day i read a deal on them the other day they had um 10 million metric tons uh they were off by 10 million metric tons for export uh year over year um so i mean there's just these huge gaps in 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 the the available amount of grain worldwide <laughs> when it comes to export so i guess talk about export in u.s dollar and and then how that whole ball of twine is going to come unraveled i guess yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think that we're at a point where everyone has sold as much as they can, as you said. I mean, so it doesn't really matter what the dollar does. It's just, it's a supply problem, right? But it does matter. Where it does matter is in the translational inflation effect to U.S. price. So the Brazilian real is what we follow for right. ag inflation. And that chart, if you look at it, it, de it was developing this double bottom triangular pattern and we broke through that pattern. We've talked about this on your program in the past about we thought the real might turn up um, for the first time and actually enter a long-term uptrend. And we actually had a big, big surge here in the real over the last two weeks that broke through that uh, triangular bottoming pattern. And so that suggests to us that we've turned the Brazilian real up and if we're right about that, then, then the translational inflation effect that that so so if the real rallies twenty percent, and all things being equal with the price of grains in Brazil, then our price should go up twenty percent. 
even though the Brazil price doesn't move up at all because we have to, we're filtering the Brazil price through the lens of the real, which is rallying against the dollar. So it inflates our price, even though the price isn't rising there, it's rising here. It's the exact reverse effect when the dollar was strong, their price was rising, ours was flat to down because we were getting dampened by the strong dollar. Now it's going reverse. So we think this is a big deal. We think that part of the reason that the next call it act two of the phase transition. This is act one is completing here in July, but act two is going to continue into next spring summers that this real is going to provide this inflationary tailwind to us at prices on top of this weather cycle, these weather cycles we just talked about, that's going to create this perfect storm for the maximum inflationary us price possible. When you put strong demand with extreme weather volatility and a inflationary component for the Brazil real coming together at the same time is what we see. We didn't have the real inflation component this go around. We, we missed that. But if we have it next time, then we're going to have to pump the prices up more than we did this time to correctly price in all of these factors that are in place. That's to us. I don't think we can sell any more, Casey, like you said. I think we're selling everything we can. And if we have poor crops again, we're not going to have that much to sell anyway. But it will impact the price even more so than before. Right. So, well, a lot of stuff to keep, man. A lot of moving parts here, man. There's a lot of a lot of things kind of coming at you at a, at a million miles an hour. So, if folks want to reach out to you, get more information about Hack Financial and, and and what you have going, and, and get some of that information that you that you like to post as far as those reports go, and then what you can do as far as their operation goes. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T advisors.com we have all kinds of information on there they can take a look at if they wanted to to take a look at the podcast we recorded for on these cycles which um you know we'd be glad to send it to them uh send it to your listeners if they email us at sean s-h-a-w-n at hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com and just say you know want to request uh uh weather cycle podcast that we'd be glad to send it to them casey because it's a it's really important that they get their hands around what's going on with these big cycles and how how this is a really different period and we'd be glad to send it to your listeners um if they want if they want to take a look at it so i highly recommend anybody that wants to understand this more get a hold of sean and get that report because you're not finding this information in place else i've i've looked and you know there's there's a few places out there doing but the mainstream weather forecasts have nothing talk nothing about any of this and this is uh you know we're still we're still going to melt the polar ice caps in their mind so we're we're uh we're we're trying to get the information out there so that 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 folks can make some pretty pretty good uh decisions about what what they see happening so sean thanks for being on the podcast man you're welcome casey and and let's just want you know we're we're polar bears you should be. <laughs> There's definitely going to be going to be a few polar bears running around. <laughs> we're bullish polar bears. We want to go on record. We're bullish polar bears. Yeah, so. they're, they're going to be further south than, than what people think. I think so. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. so make sure you get a hold of Sean. And make sure you check out that that uh, that information because it's it was it's a lot of good information in there. It's not a long drawn out podcast, twenty minutes, you know. So it's very easy to listen. So. 
Well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, if you want to check more out, uh, check me out. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. That is September 15th through the 17th at the Renaissance Hotel, right there on uh, right downtown on Broadway. So it'll uh, be, a, be a good time. Sean's going to be there. He's going to talk about uh, all the information we talk about here, and we're going to be headed into that first uh, first phase of, of this this cold snap that we, that we see coming uh, and, this, and how that's going to start uh, relating to some, um, to some early frost and those kind of things and how those are going to start Im- impacting the marketplace. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher